So when I was a, a kid, I would go over to my friend Dustin's house after school, and, and we would get our Legos out. We loved to play with Legos together, and lots of times we would carry them out into his driveway. He had this gravel driveway, and we would dig these little channels, and then we would turn the water hose on, let the water flow down, and we would work all afternoon long building these little dams out of Legos. And, and we, did, we did it all afternoon long for hours and hours and hours trying to find out, you know, what's going to be the thing that we can do that can, can stop this, stop this incredible, the, the incredible power of this water coming from the water hose. What are we going to do to stop it? And then, now then, just suppose that after we do this for about a year, we decide we're going to move on to bigger and better things. We now have in mind the Ohio, the Mississippi, the Amazon, the Nile. You know, we're going we're gonna to take what we have accomplished. We have seen what we can do, and now we're going to take with our own hands, and we are going to carry our Legos. We might add a few and carry them and go and build a dam uh, to, to stop up one of these rivers. That's, that's ridiculous. But so is human pride. Human pride, at the root of so many sins, is human pride, this delusional, titanic pride that we have in ourselves, this belief that we, that we, when we accomplish things, when we exercise our dominion, when we have success, that number one, it all came from us, and number two, we, we are like gods. We have this power to, to go and accomplish. What I hope that you'll realize today is that, uh, is that we ought to humble ourselves, that God opposes the pride. And we ought to humble ourselves before him and trust in him and glory in him and boast in him. This morning we're going to be uh, starting in Genesis 10. Genesis 10. And what I want you to see first is the origin of the nations. The origin of the nations, where they began. The beginning of these nations that fill the earth. Genesis 10. Uh, look first at, we'll, we'll take this section by section, and look first at verses uh, 1 through 5. Genesis 10, 1 through 5. I'll, just, I'll, I'll read a few of these verses. Now, I'll start with just with verse 1, which says, These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, uh, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Uh, we see that word there, generations, and that's an important uh, word that, that Moses uses to structure the book of Genesis. And basically, what that keys us into is we're looking back at something that happened, and now we're going to explain that after that happened, this is what happened next. And so, this kind of gives us a chance to tie back in to what, what just happened, this kind of little scene where we're going to stitch it together. Well, at the end of chapter 9, Genesis 9, Noah had uh, three sons, and Noah, after he comes off the ark with his family... Uh, he gets drunk, and he takes off all of his clothes, and one of his sons, Ham, dishonors him. He goes and sees him. He sees him shamed, and he does not cover him. He dishonors his father, and as a result of that, uh, Noah uh, curses Ham's son, Canaan. Ham was the youngest son. He cursed Canaan, who is the youngest son, and, and in Canaan, Canaan's whole career, his whole, his, his life, and all the people who come from him are characterized by sin, and then God, uh, then Noah blesses the God of Shem, the Lord, 
the God of Shem. And so what happens here is that we see something that's happened before in these chapters in Genesis 1 through 11 is that there's this division between God's people, this righteous line, and this unrighteous line. This line that is characterized by righteousness and devotion to God and this line of people that is characterized by sin. And then in verses 2 through 5, you go to the, the third son, who is Japheth. And Japheth, uh, are, from, from Japheth come all these people who fill out and they basically cover, uh, they, they cover the Mediterranean Sea. They live on all these islands along the coastlands. They spread out in all these directions. And Japheth is the, the least significant son because he's just not at the center. He's, he's kind of far away. He's, just, he's almost relatively neutral. But then you see this in verse 5. You see these, these phrases, these words that are going to be repeated in this chapter. It says, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. Just look at those words, okay? Their lands, language, clans, nations. We'll, we'll see those words repeated. And I just want, to, want you to mark them for now. Just make a note of them in your mind. This is significant. Okay, this is what this is where God. This is part of the the message of this chapter. Things that are repeated. Now then, pick up with Ham in chapter six. I actually want to read verses six through twenty to read about about Ham. We we learn he has the most little be uh, sort of mini stories in his in his genealogy. So starting with verse six, it says, "The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, uh, Havilah, Sabta, Raama, and Saptaka." The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, rehoboth Ir, Kalah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ladim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kazluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zimrites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. One of the reasons why I want to read this section is you have these little mini stories, and, and all of the descendants of Ham are characterized by, number one, by wickedness, by sin, and much more than that, they are characterized by their opposition to Israel. So you, you start with the, this man named Nimrod. Uh, Nimrod is this city builder. He is this empire builder. He builds a city in Babel. He builds it, and then he goes and he builds other cities. And he is this mighty warrior, this great man before the Lord. He is living there. He's, he's something like the greatest man on earth, the kind of Alexander the Great before Alexander the Great came along. He has come and he's conquered the known world. He's building these cities. He's ruling over them. And one of those cities is Babel, from whom the empire of Babylon will come. This is this land that is in opposition to Israel from the east. And then you have, he, he starts the, the nation of Assyria. This is this other empire that is going to come along and oppose the nation of Israel. And then you have Egypt there that is mentioned. Egypt is from, from whom Nimrod comes. 
Egypt is, are, is the nation, this superpower during the time of Moses that is going to enslave God's people. But then the most significant section is there, Canaan himself. This is an Israelite who hears this for the first time, cannot hear about hear the word Canaan without thinking that this is the place that God has given to us. This is, this is the promised land. And you can see this is the only land that's actually marked out. Like this is the northern boundary, this is the southern boundary, this is the western boundary and the eastern boundary. This is what God is giving to us. These are the people who live there, but they are characterized by wickedness and opposition and idolatry. And and we are going in at God's command to dispossess these people. But this is our place. This is our place. So God, uh, they have these these places here where God has, has, uh, this line of people is characterized by opposition to Israel. Mark that, and then you see there at the end, the clans, the languages, the lands, and the nations. These, the, these are the people spreading out. And lastly, we come to Shem. Shem is the, uh, the chosen line, this line that God is going to bless the whole earth through. There's this separation here uh, between the righteous and the wicked. And so you can see there uh, in verse 21, it says, To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, uh, children were born. Uh, you see that name Eber is significant there. Eber is where the word Hebrew comes. Can you, kind of, can you get that? Eber and, and the people who come from him are the Hebrews. So that's Abraham is the Hebrew. And that's a, that's a name that's used for the chosen people of God. They're going to come from Eber. And so uh, Eber has two sons, uh, Peleg and Joktan. Uh, you can see that in verse 25. Uh, and Peleg, it's during the time of Peleg that the nation is, that the world is divided. The world is divided. And that's probably, uh, in fact, I'm almost sure that that is pointing to what's about to happen in chapter 11, where the nations are dispersed because of their languages. And then uh, we go to Joktan, who is the other son of Hebrew, and that is the, the line that is actually traced out there. We're going to get to Peleg in just a second. So he's kind of left off. We'll get to him in a minute. But well, here we face Joktan, and then you see... Verses 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then verse 32, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies and their nations. And from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. All right, so I point out just a few of these details and and here are the points I'm trying to make. Here are the things that, that are important for us. Number one, God is blessing all of humanity. In Genesis 9, God had said, be fruitful. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And what's happening here? They are, they are being blessed. They are being fruitful and multiplying. God is causing that to happen. And, and the significance of that for us is that we should just recognize every place where God says something and then he carries it out. We learn that God is faithful. Amen. We learn that God, when God says that you are blessed, you are blessed. It's going to happen. When he says you have an inheritance, you will have an inheritance. You will be cared for. You will be blessed. You will be rewarded. And, and in just, in just an, another chapter or two, we're going to get to this man named Abraham. Uh, and God says to him, I will bless you and, and, and you will be a blessing to all nations. And what does Genesis 3.9 tell us? Tell us? Uh, excuse me, Galatians 3.9. Galatians 3.9 tells us that... Everyone who is of faith is blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
So we know that God is faithful because over and over again, we have this, uh, we have these, these, uh, these events where God says he blessed somebody and then they were blessed. It happens over and over again. And that is, some, that is one of the ways that we learn to trust God by seeing how he, how he is, is always faithful to his word. The other thing I want you to see here is that God is sovereign. That is, he is in control of all of these nations. So listen, listen carefully, uh, or you can flip there if you want to, to Acts 17. Acts 17. And I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. 26 and 27. This is what it says. Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. You know who gave these lands to these peoples? You know who determined where they would live? Where they would spread out to? God did. And when these lands changed hands, you know who determined that? God did. God is in control of all of the nations of the world. His plan is centered on one nation. But his plan is for the benefit and includes all nations. And God is over all of those nations. You know the reason why you were born in the nation that you were born in? Because God determined that you would be. And he has determined the, the, the places and the times that you would live. And it is not an accident. There are no accidents. This is what is called providence. That is God's uh, God who created the world also remains as the one who governs the world. And he is setting out the places that people ought to live. And one of the reasons if you've come to know Jesus Christ is because God puts you in a certain place at a certain time. And then he did more than that by changing your heart. But he puts you in a certain place at a certain time. Well, if here are some of your testimonies, that is one of the things that I think of is, is how did this person come in contact with this person and somehow they rubbed off on one another and this person heard something that they didn't even, I, I just hear it over and over again, they, they see something, they, they hear something, they, they have a relationship with someone who somehow passes out of their life without even knowing the influence that they had. And yet somehow God uses that to bring people to Jesus Christ. It's because God is in control. And we see there that it says that he does that so that people will come to know him. So that they will in some way search him out and find him. I don't think that contradicts in any way uh, what, what God says in uh, Romans 3 where it says no one seeks after God. It's simply to say that God is, God is moving to bring people to himself. And he is, not, he is not only moving in one place but that he is moving in all of the nations. The other thing that you see that Paul brings out there is that uh, all these nations came from one man. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, the, some of these early chapters of Genesis were used as a basis for racism. That uh, pointing toward the, to the mark on Cain or in some way a uh, ham here, uh, they, they were somehow, that was when the separation of the the races came into existence and that somehow they, they're identified. 
Now that is that is a twisting of God's scripture. Uh, there is no basis in scripture for that. We all come from one man, Adam, and then through Noah. And all of us who trust in Jesus Christ are one in one man, Jesus Christ. We are one man. And, and the basic distinction in the Bible is not between uh, races, but between those who are God's people and those who are not God's people. That's the basic division. And that just sort of moves us into the next part. I want you to point out, you, you, when you see these nations spread out, Israel is at the center. Chapters 10 and 11 are, are, we are making this transition from all the nations of the world to the history of one nation. But through that one nation, God is intending and planning to bless all nations. Israel is at the center. And so that's one of the reasons why we have uh, taken the time to look at the Old Testament. And why we will continue to preach the Old Testament. Because this history of God's people in the Old Testament, Israel, is our history if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so when we see this plan being worked out, we, we are part of that. We see that. We, we, we are believing. We have the faith of Abraham. We are trusting in the offspring of Abraham. And that only leads to the, to the last point in this chapter. Is, is that there are, there are 70 nations counted here. Uh, and in a passage uh, that we're going to get to in just a few weeks. We're going to go back to Luke. Uh, what happens in Luke 10 is that Jesus chooses disciples to go out and preach the gospel. And how many does he choose? I think in a, in, a, in a meaningful, symbolic way, he chooses 70 disciples to go out two by two. He is preparing his people, his disciples, to go out and spread the gospel to all nations. The, these nations that are mentioned here, now Jesus Christ picks them up and says, now the gospel is going to go to all of them. I'm sending you out to all these nations. The, the, the movement is no longer going to be, uh, you know, come and see the nation of Israel, but go out to the nations and preach the good news. So we see this, this picture here, uh, and that new good news is going to be, pre- be preached to these nations and languages and tribes. And we see that language picked up in the New Testament where there are going to be these people from all nations and tribes and tongues and lands. Who praise Jesus Christ. God, God has planned that there will be glory for Jesus Christ. And that glory will be revealed. That glory will be uh, displayed in his bringing people from all nations to himself. So we see the, the origin of the nations. See the origin of the nations. Next we, we want to look at the scattering of the nations. The scattering of the nations. Uh, read verses 1 through 9 with me. It says... Uh, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, all, they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down. And they're confused, their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. We start out with is in this place that, that Nimrod had begun, this Babel, this, this symbol of pride. Everyone is gathered. Everybody has one language. And they say to one another, you know, come, let's, let's build. Let's build a tower. Let's build a city so that we will not be dispersed. We will not be scattered. They are rebelling against what God had set out for them to do. God had told Noah, fill the earth. Fill the earth. Spread out. Fill the earth. And they were rebelling against that. They are trying to find safety in themselves and their numbers. Let us stay here. And not only that, but they are, they say, we want, to, we want to build this city and build this tower so that we will make a name for ourselves. We'll make a name. This, this tower is probably what's called a, a ziggurat. This is kind of stepped pyramid that goes all the way up. And it's a temple. And they are saying, hey, we will, we will build this tower and everyone will look at us and they will see our greatness. And they will, they will know our name and we will, be, we will be famous throughout the earth. We will be renowned the same way that our founder Nimrod was. He was a great man before the Lord. We'll all be great. We will be the great Babel. Everyone will look at us. Look at our tower. Look at our city. And then you come to verse 5 and that's kind of the hinge verse, these, these few verses says the Lord came down. The Lord came down to see their great big tower that they were going to build to heaven. God comes down and mocks. God, God laughs at their pride. God laughs at their limited attempts, sad attempts to make a name for themselves. And God says to himself, he says, uh, we, we need to stop this because if we don't stop this, uh, there will be no end to what they will do or be able to do. And what, that, what that's intending to convey is not that, they are, that God is in somehow threatened by the tower. That's why I made clear. He, he comes down to see their great big tower. He's not threatened. He's only seeing that, that human sin is such that if God does not restrain it, there will be no end to it. That's one of the good things that God does for us. God, God makes the world still livable because he restrains sin. The world is not as bad as it could be. The world is, is characterized by sin and will be until Jesus Christ returns. But it is not as bad as it could be. God restrains sin. And the way that he does it here is that he disperses these languages. He, he confuses their language. And he says, says that this place is called Babel, which sounds like the word for confused in the original languages. Babel sounds like Bilal, and it means confused. But, but actually, the word that they had originally intended, they had intended it to, be the, to mean the gateway of the gods. Like, this is Babel. This is the place where we meet with God. We, we have this connection with God. And this is actually the place where God is mocking them and saying, no, this is the place where you're just confused. You are confused. If you think that you can build a tower and make a name for yourself, you, you, are, you are delusional. I see a warning here about human pride. 
at the root of so many sins is pride. From the beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was you will take the fruit and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But we must always be on guard against pride. We ought to do all that we can by understanding who we are as, as creatures, understanding who we are as people who have rebelled against God, who have sinned against God. We know that about ourselves. We ought to do everything that we can in, in understanding who God is to humble ourselves. Just looking at the truth, continually remembering in the mirror of God's word, no, 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 God opposes the proud. You see, God opposes the proud. And this, this place, Babel, becomes, uh, it becomes the, the symbol of all that is human pride opposed to God. But in the end, what is revealed is that Babylon falls. Babylon falls. God will destroy Babylon. God will bring down all human pride in opposition to God. He will bring it down. And so we ought to humble ourselves and trust in God's king, Jesus Christ. And we also, I want you to pick up on this theme of judgment as scattering. When God scatters a people, he is judging them. And the opposite is also that the flip side of that is that when God gathers a people, he is gathering them to bless him. So what happens here is that, that and I think a, an Israelite couldn't fail to miss this. In Deuteronomy 28.64, uh, God is speaking, uh, Moses is speaking to the Israelites about, if you do not obey God's law, then this is what is going to be happen. This is what is going to happen to you. You are going to be scattered among the nations. I'm going to take you from this promised land, this place of blessing, and I am going to scatter you. You will be blessed. You, you, will, you will be cursed by this scattering because of your disobedience. But now what is the future hope? Uh, listen, listen to John 10. John 10. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. John 10, 14 through 16. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And good shepherds don't scatter their flocks. Good shepherds bring their flocks together. They gather their flocks. Bring them together. And what did, how does Jesus do that? Jesus does that by laying his life down for his sheep. Jesus died for his people. And you even see that indication there that where he's talking to the Jews and he is saying, uh, I not only have sheep in this flock, but I have sheep of another flock and I am going to gather them all together. And there is going to be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus Christ did for us in dying on the cross is he laid down his life to bring his flock together and to save his people. And if you will turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be gathered under a good king, Jesus Christ, by trusting in his death and his resurrection. All right, see the, when you see the scattering of the nations, 
And next we see, we see the blessing of all nations. Look at uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 20, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, verses 10 through 26. And I want to look at verse uh, 14 and uh, 14 through 16. It says, when Shalah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, so you see here with uh, Eber. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't see the line of Peleg finished up. But now, now we saw Joktan, who was one of the sons of Eber. Now we're going to trace Peleg. And here's what's going to happen. Through Peleg... Down in verses uh, 24, we'll read verses 24 through 26. It says, When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So this is just a brief little point here, but it's a significant one. Because what's happening, you, you can see if you look at Genesis 5 and then you look at these verses here, you're going to see the similarity in the, these genealogies where they're going like tracing a single line, this single chosen line that starts with Adam through Seth, through Noah, through Shem, all the way down to Abram. And what God is doing is he is... He is setting up, and you see this, this other thing that is left out here. If you compare Genesis 5 and, and Genesis 11, these genealogies, in Genesis 5 we had this phrase that was repeated over and over again. He lived X number of years and fathered X, fathered Y, and then he lived so and so, and then he died. It's not mentioned here. Of course these men died, but, but we're no longer, the emphasis is no longer on death reigning. The emphasis is on there is blessing coming to all nations. And no one could hear the name of Abram and not know in Israel, and we ought to recognize, and not know that this is the one through whom all nations will be blessed. So we've made a transition. We've made a transition from the whole world being spread out, being dispersed, uh, being scattered over all the earth. But now... God is beginning his plan through one of those families, one of those tribes, one of those nations. He is, he is going to make Abram into a great nation. He is going to change his name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. And he is going to bless all nations through him. And through Abraham's offspring, whom we know from Galatians 3, is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, all nations are blessed in him. Through trusting in Him. We will be blessed. We have been blessed when we trust in Jesus Christ. And we, we can only thank Him for that. 